I wanted to start by saying thank you for listening, as well as for those of you who've been supporting Standard H by way of making purchases on the website. It's funny, I've had several people ask me if I'm a podcast that makes clothes or a clothing brand with a podcast. Though it is most certainly the latter, I'm just happy those of you who have discovered the brand at all, let alone enjoyed the products I make. If you don't mind leaving a review of the show through whatever app you're listening to this on, it will no doubt help others also discover the show and in turn the brand. And if I could ask a second favor, maybe tell a friend or two about Standard H. I couldn't be more proud of the community that's evolving, and all of you have been so great, be it through DMs on Instagram or the emails I've received. I'm a huge subscriber of the birds of a feather mentality and feel the best way to share a good thing is to include my friends. So if you could help share the pod, that would be awesome, and hopefully your friends will enjoy it as well. As always, thank you so much for the support. If you haven't heard episode one of the Standard Age podcast, then let me tell you about my friend Tim Jackson. As owner of Passion Fine Jewelry, Tim and his team specialize in fine jewelry, as well as some of the finest independent watch brands available. I'm talking about Gronfeld, Habring, Kudoki, Roger Smith, Roman Gauthier, Sarpaneva, the list goes on. The staff at Passion Fine Jewelry is literally made up of friends and family, so you will feel right at home if and when you visit. If California is out of reach, you can absolutely email or call the shop and they'll get you sorted. Visit passionfinejewelry.com for more information. As you all know, I'm a huge fan of using the right product for the right job. And like many of you, I appreciate products with a story. That's why I drive a Volkswagen GTI. It's a hot hatch with heritage. It's also why I'm into specific watches like my Tudor Black Bay. And that's exactly why I'm a fan of the indie accessory brand Contonement. Contonement makes a utilitarian cloth they simply call a kerchief. It's smaller than a standard bandana, but larger than a handkerchief, which makes it ideal to tuck in a back pocket or use as a neckerchief. I always take one on a bike ride or have one with me as a backup face covering. Not only do these kerchiefs satisfy several functions, but they look great too. Each set features illustrations celebrating icons of product design like the Omega Speedmaster, the Fender Stratocaster, or my favorite, of course, a classic GTI. Follow them on Instagram at Contonement Co. That's C-A-N-T-O-N-M-E-N-T-C-O or visit them at Contonement.co and use the code STANDARDH in all caps no spaces, for 20% off of absolutely everything in their online shop. Now let's get to the show. Back in the fall, I made my way back to my home state of North Carolina, which is where I met up with today's guest, Chris Powers. Much in the way of previous guest David Weiss, Chris and I realized we'd met before at the store I had been working at right after college. Today, Chris owns Trophy Brewing, one of my favorite breweries in North Carolina. Having worked for large companies as well as some more local establishments, Chris took his expertise into a fairly casual conversation with a friend about starting their own thing, and well, they certainly made that happen. Trophy has grown somewhat exponentially since they started, and it was not only fun to learn a bit about the beer world of Raleigh, but also to get in the weeds of how to start such a business. Chris was incredibly open regarding sharing information about their four-person partnership, the acquisitions of real estate, and how Trophy plans to keep reaching the taste buds of those in and around the Southeast. We also discussed their new distillery and later touch on Chris's history with cars, being a dad, and automotive-inspired pizza? You'll hear about it. I'm your host, Wesley Smith, and you're listening to the Standard Age Podcast. Well, Chris, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you. Uh, We came to the conclusion that we've met before. Mm -hmm. It's been a while. (laughs) Yeah, but yeah. (laughs) In one of my previous lives, uh, managing a retail store. Mm -hmm. Um, Wardrobe. Years ago, 15 plus years ago. Yeah, that's wild. So it's good that both of us don't forget faces. <laughs> We're probably in the right businesses. <laughs> right. It's definitely helpful. Did you, uh, did you grow up here? No, I actually, I moved to Raleigh um, in 2000 or two, yeah, late 2000. Oh, okay. So I've been here a while now. Almost at, I'm almost at that point where I've lived here longer than I, where I grew up. So it's kind of, I'm, I'm, I think I'm legally allowed to call myself a Raleighite then. Or nice. Or a, a citizen of Raleigh by that point, so. 
And where'd you come from? Uh, I moved here from upstate New York. I moved, um, I was working for a restaurant group that transferred me all over the East Coast. I was doing um, work in their bars and kind of run it, rolling out new bar programs, hiring, firing, filling in if managers needed time off or, or any of those things, situations came up, I'd go in there and, uh, and troubleshoot, figure it out, and then uh, get to travel a bit at, at a pretty young age, which was pretty cool. Right. So, okay, so what was the setup of those places? Like, what kind of menus and such? Yeah, so that was, a, it was a concept called Jack Astor's, which was a Canadian company. Um, yeah. They kind of reached into North Car- they reached into New York first. They had an outlet in Buffalo. They had a buff and, and two outlets in Rochester, and that's where I started. And then I, um, they came to me one day with an opportunity, said, are you interested in kind of traveling around a little bit and kind of seeing going into these other concepts and just helping us troubleshoot, fire bartenders, hire bartenders, train, right. um, figure out what the issues are and get to the bottom of that. And I said, sure, I'd love to. So I first went to Las Colinas, Texas, um, got to open up the bar down there um, and train their bartenders, roll out new menus, um, and then came back to Rochester and they said, hey, listen, we, I did a couple other stints like that, going to Canada, working... Um, in their other locations. And then they said, Hey, listen, we have this permanent opportunity in North Carolina. Are you interested? I was like, man, I don't know. I'd never been to North Carolina before. And I, I visited Greensboro in October and it was like 76 degrees. I was like, hell yes. That's so, awesome. So I moved. Yeah. 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 Did you go to college up there like Syracuse or anywhere? I did. So I went to school. Um, I, I, I spent some time at a school up there called Alfred state, uh, which is a little bit outside of Rochester and that's, it's about an hour and a half South. Um, <clears throat> kind of small liberal arts, arts college, kind of figure out what I wanted to be doing. Sure. Um, decided uh, formal education wasn't what wasn't good for me or wasn't really what I was interested in at that time and at that age. Uh, and I decided to take a step back and move back to Rochester. That, that's a very common trait amongst these podcast guests. Yeah. Like school just isn't for <laughs> us, you know? Um, it's yeah. kind of funny. I mean, I obviously went to school and stuff too, but like, yeah, I, I find that that's very often the case with a lot of the people I have these conversations with. Yeah, I, the things that they were kind of putting in, you know, wanted us to be in a box and say, hey, you have to be here at 8, you have to do this at 9, you have to do this at 12, this is due on the 15th, just kind of didn't work for me. Right. Um, and, you know, there was I learned a lot in that first year also about myself, what I wanted to be doing, and um, and having the guts and my parents kind of were like cool about me coming home. Well, actually they weren't cool at first, but right. uh, we worked it out. <laughs> they are cool now, but um, <laughs> gave me a, gave me an opportunity to kind of figure out what I wanted to be doing. And I knew that I really wanted to be working with people. I like the excitement of the food and beverage industry and I like the opportunity to be doing something different every single day. And sure. so that's kind of what I jumped into. What did, uh, what did your parents do when you were growing up? Uh, so my mother was an administrator at the university of Rochester. Okay. So she worked for, um, I'm trying to think. She worked in the. Uh, she's gonna kill me. This is like. A, <laughs> she worked with Dr. Erba, and it was a lot of work with Alzheimer's patients. I see. Um, so she kind of administrated part of that program, and my father was a tool and die maker, model maker. Oh wow! Yeah, so he worked at Xerox up there. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. What kind of kid were you in high school? Like, what were you into? Uh, I did a lot of theater. Um, Interesting. Which was great. I played sports. Um, I really enjoyed social aspects. And I think that's kind of translated to what we're doing now. Sure. Um, you know, well, and the theater part too. Yeah. And theater too, you know, it helped give me a lot of confidence and it's kind of, um, I don't, I'm not really shy. I don't think, uh, you know, and that's, that kind of led me to some of the things that we do now, but, um, you know, being a part of a team and with sports and learning how to work together was a big part of, um, form some formative things for me as we, move forward thinking about things as team environments but i really enjoyed that and i played played a little bit of soccer in college too oh nice so soccer was your sport yeah cool Mm -hmm. yeah i think you know team sports are just so instrumental in in a lot of different ways i I was big into baseball primarily Mm -hmm. and i feel like i always say this actually about like driving it baseball kind of teaches you to anticipate Mm -hmm. right because you never know where the ball's gonna go Sort of like that in soccer. Yeah. Maybe you can kind of see, kind of predict where the play is going a little bit better in soccer than you can in baseball. Yeah. But like, I've always thought that there was like this really subconscious thing about your anticipatory skills and how that carries forward, you know, from team sports to things like driving, for example, yeah. and or team oriented, you know, tasks, you know, and things like that and knowing that you're 
just a part in a larger system mm-hmm. and, and, and dependent on everybody else. Totally. A good job. Yeah. 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 Synergy, all that, um, you know, corporate culture even is yeah. like very similar to like team dynamics. You know, I just, I, I love the idea of team sports for kids. Oh, for sure. Um, I think they're pretty instrumental. Uh, so it's cool. Soccer. Are you still into soccer? Do you still like watch world cup and all that? Yeah, I definitely watch World Cup. Um, I don't watch like Premier League or anything, um, okay. but I do watch World Cup, and I, I look forward to coaching our my daughter's soccer team. You know, she's two and a half, and we're already kicking around the soccer ball quite a bit, so <laughs> awesome. it's pretty awesome, yeah. So, obviously, you're in the theater and stuff as a kid. A lot of that takes up a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Did you work at all in high school? I did. Yeah, what was your was, first job? Uh, my very, let's see, my very first job is I was a newspaper uh, I, I, my delivery guy in my neighborhood. So it was great for me because I got to meet everybody on the street, deliver newspapers and know a little bit more about these people, and uh, which which was a lot of fun. Now, did you wear the bag and walk around or were you on a bike or what? No, uh, at first, it, well, actually, it was my brother's paper route. He, uh, Tom Sawyer, me into doing it. So nice. I started doing that until it became my role. Um, and I, I walked around with a bag, um, tried to build the route, get more people on, on the route and do a little bit of sales there. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was my real first job. Um, I got into the restaurant industry through some family connections and, um, part of my family's businesses, they own, uh, this is kind of funny, but they own uh, carnivals. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. So my, uh, yeah, so my grandfather and my great uncle started a company a long time ago called Amusements of Rochester, which is a carnival company that travels all over the country. I did not see this coming. Yeah. Is uh, that where you get like your theater? I think that's, I mean, it's not, wasn't part of the performance, but that was just like a summertime job. It was hard work and it was, you know, you'd work in the summertime in the heat and you'd move games and heavy things. And um, that was one of my first real work experiences. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. So is, are those businesses still around? Yeah, he actually, um, my uncle now runs it, um, and he uh, actually coordinates all of the rides at the North Carolina State Fair. No way? Yeah. So yeah, so it's him and two other guys that kind of bring their rides together to do this thing. Um, but it's a great example of how like a small family business continues to grow and, and also kind of adapt uh, wow. to changing time. That's incredible. We're obviously here at... Um we're obviously here at Trophy, um, but this is okay. So tell tell me tell me even because like I'm I'm new to this sure. area because mm-hmm. so much has changed. Like Raleigh's growing like a weed, and mm-hmm. especially has in the last ten years, I'd say since I've left and been in California. Where are we exactly, and how does this relate to like that growth that you've been experiencing? Because I I understand that it was Trophy, the brewing company. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. first of all, let's back up. Did Trophy come first? Because you also own a beer store. Yeah, so we have four total concepts. Our original location was at 225 South Wilmington Street, which was called the Busy Bee Cafe. Okay, that was yours. Yeah, that was ours. So we opened that in 2009, um, and it was a a craft beer bar. Our goal was to kind of teach people about craft beer in North Carolina, celebrate craft beers from all over the world, and kind of tell their stories on a a smaller basis here in Raleigh. Mm -hmm. Because it was right around the time that they had passed the legislation that would allow ABVs to be higher than 4.9%. I see. So there's a new opportunity. All these new beers are coming to the market. IPAs, baby. IPAs. Uh, That is the number one selling style in the world, or in in the country. Um, So our goal was to kind of teach people about what these beers were, because my partner Woody and I would be traveling all over going to beer festivals, meeting brewers. And we wanted to bring that back to North Carolina and tell those stories. Um, you know, cause everybody would go to a bar that any of the bars that we had been working at and say, Hey, can I get a fat tire? I had it in Colorado. Well, we don't have fat tire here yet, but here's the beer that inspired fat tire. That's so interesting because like, I always wondered why there was such like this huge push for these beers, like pale ales and IPAs and things like that. I always thought it was just kind of like more or less a, a Malcolm Gladwell tipping point type of situation, but really it was just the legislation prohibiting it from Here in existing. North Carolina, for sure. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Sure. I had no idea. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, there was, you know, there was conversation around the ABV point go, or ABB going up, the legal limit in North Carolina going up, and so so distributors were really get paw, like poised to release all these beers as soon as they landed. Right. Um, and it just opened up the floodgates. You know, North Carolina wasn't a big drinking state up until that point. And now, um, you know, with the, with <laughs> now that, changed. Up, that, that <laughs> has changed significantly now. Yeah. Um, so with the ABV going up, it just allows more variety of beers sure. and very little uh, experience with those beers. 
Um, another cool thing is that there's a lot of people in North Carolina, especially in Raleigh here, that aren't from uh, Raleigh, and they are used to having these beers in other states. Totally. And can kind of come in and be like, oh, they have my favorite beer, or they have St. Bernardus, I love this beer, and then bring their friends in and tell, help tell that story too. Right. So you had Busy Bee, which was kind of a, a crap beer bar, like you said, served food as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. We so actually, when your partner just obviously to take another step back, so I apologize, but is it just the two of you? No, there's actually three of us that are partners in the business. Okay. Uh, or sorry, there's a total of four of us that are partners in the business. There's two of us that do the operations. There's one that does real estate and then there's one that does um, the brewing fermentation kind of side. Okay. So where do you fit in that puzzle? Operations. Okay. Yeah. So I work mostly in operations and also with the branding and design side. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Now, how did you get paired up with these three guys? So, um, Woody and I, which is my partner in the operations, he and I bartended together. We worked at a restaurant on, on uh, Glenwood Avenue called Bogart's American Grill. Oh my goodness. That's right. Yes. So he and I bartended. We actually started as servers there, um, worked into bartending and bartended together for a long time. We both kind of took separate paths to, to management with that same company. Um, stayed friends all along, you know, worked a lot of those hard nights behind the bar saying when we open our own place, we'll never do this shit. Or like, you know, when yeah. we do this, we'll never do that. Um, so DJ Joe Bunn couldn't come in. No, no DJ, no DJ <laughs> Joe Bunn, no half price martini nights, no, uh, insane specials. Um, so, you know, Woody and I stayed friends and, you know, we started thinking about what was next for us. We want to do something. Downtown was really just starting to reopen. Um, there was people really putting a focus on downtown rally and we wanted to be a part of that. Right. I left the company um, where we were working together um, to go work at a company called Empire Properties, which you okay. may know that they own a ton of ro- they own a ton of property downtown, um, and they were opening some restaurant concepts. Second Empire was that theirs? No, they owned Raleigh Times. They oh owned, yeah, yeah, sure. They own Raleigh Times, the Morning Times. They owned. Uh, they own. Um, that's that's uh, one of my my go tos, Raleigh Times. Yeah. So I worked there when it was really just two rooms. It was like the main bar and then there's this little side dining room. Oh, I remember. And then you expanded. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So I went to go work for those guys for a while and um, kind of brought my love of craft beer from Rocky Top Hospitality and Bogart's American Grill over to to that place and changed up their beer list. Got a real focus on craft and a real focus on uh, exciting beers. Right. Uh, Worked there and then decided to move on. Uh, we met and in the meantime, I met a, our other partner who's in real estate. His name is David. Um, and he had been working in the property side there at, at empire. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. And so he found a building. We went, all three of us went and looked at it and decided it was the right step. And we pulled the trigger. So did you just sort of put the bug in David's ear that like, Hey, you know, like I'm kind of thinking about doing my own thing. And he's like, well, I could help you with the real estate or like, let me help you find a, a location. Yeah. It was kind of like, it, it was pretty organic. You know, we became friends. We started talking about the future and what we want to be doing and had always talked, Woody and I had always talked about opening our own thing, but that was kind of a piece that we we're missing with sure. the real estate experience. And, yeah. um, really bringing that to the table is what David does. So and it's, you know, location, 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 location. And so we bought that building at 225 South Wilmington street in 2007. It took okay. two years to renovate, a wow. year and a half to renovate. Um, and then reopened in 2009. Now, where did the investment come from? Uh, the investment was private investment. Um, okay. we were lucky enough to have people that believed in the idea Okay, and we were able to, um, get some private investment, but we did take out some loans. Sure. Sure. Now, were those considered to be angels, friends and family? Friends and family. Cool. Yeah, it was friends That's and family. That's great. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And then, um, you know, we did make some partnership. We, we had a partnership with North State Bank, who really believed in the concept and what was happening downtown. Um, and some people that believed in us. So they were able, willing to sign off on some things and to, to help us get open. Now, hindsight being 2020, would you have done anything differently? Um, financially? Financially? Uh, in some ways, uh, you know, that bank was pretty small at the time, yep. um, and they weren't really set up for what they were, what we need as a restaurant, you know, like they wanted us to have all of our banking accounts with them, but they also didn't really have a convenient office for us to go make change at. And like for us to like little things that we needed to do on a right. daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. The, op- the operations, the operations, you know, we would go to, so we would have to go walk around the corner and then take an elevator all the way up to the top floor in this very awkward space. And then like call two days ahead to make change. Yeah. All right. So now going back to where I started to say, now we're sitting in this space. Mm -hmm. Now, what is this space? What does it encompass? What does it offer? So we're sitting here at 827 West Morgan Street, which is the beginning of Trophy Brewing Company. Um, What you're sitting in now is 
a, a much different space than it originally was. Um, yeah, I heard you were like in a laundry, like did you overtake like a laundromat or like a corner store or something? So this was actually like one of those small strip malls that exist all over America. Um, and then it had four spaces. So this wall right here ended and this was a little diner. Um, and then on the other side of where this wall is, was a, uh, there was a diner here over there was a bail bondsman's office. Okay. And then on the other side of that, where the main dining room is now, um, was a convenience store. Okay. That the, I remember. Yeah, and then on the far end was where the laundromat was. I see. Okay. So we were able to, um, purchase this building in 2011 in order to make some of those renovations make sense for all the money we're putting into it and increasing the value of the building. We wanted to make the purchase. So when you, when you purchase a piece of commercial space like this, was that just literally because it was up for sale or was it like a, you came in and said, Hey, we'd really love to overtake this space. Like how did that transaction happen? Um, so we knew it was for sale or uh, the person okay. who owned it was ready to kind of retire. It was a friend of a friend who was, uh, getting ready to kind of sell off some of the real estate properties that they had owned. Cool. They knew it needed a lot of work for what it was in order to bring it up to usable space. Um, and said, you know, we're interested in doing that and we're able to make an offer, um, which we got the building and then we had to deal with the tenants individually. Cool. So now again, like with the financial implication, cause I mean, this is not a small space, right? So like, was that like a loan situation for that? Or was it like a, we've done so well with busy B that like we could just totally put like a down payment, so to speak. Yeah, no, it was a loan. We, cool. we took out another loan on the space. Um, and you know, as the property values increase, um, and you know, we're putting a lot of value into the building. So people totally. support that and under, understand what we're trying to grow. Um, so we, we took out a loan, a, re, a loan to purchase the building and also a, a renovation loan. So we wanted to renovate the space to bring it up to you to be usable. And what we started with, it was just this space and the space right there. Right. So how many square feet roughly? Um, so it was roughly about 2000 square feet or 2,500 square feet. And that's the front here. And then in the back. Yeah. My understanding was that you guys started super small like that and did. you could only get the beer here, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you weren't like, what was distribution like early days? Um, so we started off on a three barrel system and three barrels of beer is 93 gallons at a time. So our goal, you know, we're pretty conservative as business people and you know, Woody and I knew that we could sell as we we're going to sell as much as we could on site. And if we had to, we would sell it to our friends in the restaurant industry. We could say, Hey Rick, please pick up this keg or are you interested in buying this keg if we needed to. So we're like, all right, we'll start off on this three barrel system. We'll get a couple six barrel fermenters, which is double batching. So we can actually kind of start to produce volume. Yeah. And then think about, um, you know, satisfying the need on site because that's just where margins are. And, you know, we're really getting this as a destination. We have people that live in the area. There was no other like bar or restaurant kind of happening over here. Mm -hmm. um, so we wanted to be the first ones. Sure. Um, we opened up with three three barrel fermenters, uh, a three and two six barrel fermenters. Um, meaning five beers, uh, yeah, five tanks. Okay. And then typically a beer takes between 10 and 14 days to ferment. Um, so luckily, you know, we opened up, we had 14 seats at the bar cause that was our legal occupancy. We we're a private club cause in North Carolina at the time you had to either be a private club or you had to serve food and you had to have a certain percentage of your sales be food or else you were still considered a private club. So what is it like you charge membership for like a yeah. dollar or something? You legally have to charge a membership fee. You legally have to keep, continue to keep a roll of all your guests, all your people that are on your, um, that are members, members. there. Yeah. Um, and then you have to have, you know, people checking at the door making sure their membership and people show up, they have to have their membership card. So in the first couple of months that we were open, people were very excited about it because it's the first thing happening on this side of town. It was a new concept. Um, and so we sold thousands of memberships, but you can only have 14 people in there were only 14 seats at the bar. We had way more than 14 people in here, but 14 seats at the bar. What was the membership card? The membership card, it said, uh, welcome to Trophy Brewing Company, had your name to fill out in the bottom and it had our little bylaw on the bottom. And then the backside had like, uh, like our logo on it, I think. So was this paper? It was paper. Yeah. And we actually have, we have people that come in once in a while that show us their old membership card and see what they could get with it and stuff. That's awesome. It's pretty cool. Um, so what do they get with it? Uh, High fives. Hugs. Uh, yeah, I was yeah. going to say a, a <laughs> high five and a thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. That's great. Yeah. Well, okay. So with regards to those early days of brewing, and you, you mentioned one of your partners is a brewer. Mm -hmm. Where did he come from? So as we were um, kind of building a reputation, our goal at the Busy Bee Cafe was to kind of build a reputation as beer experts. People sure. that are tastemakers, people that are out there trying all these different beers to bring back the best to share with our guests. Um, and also what we wanted to do, 
was kind of expand that to like taste what's local, see what other people are doing, an opportunity to connect with the local brewing community. Cool. So we were doing something called the homebrew, highlight, homebrew highlight. So we would connect with other local homebrewers and just go to their house, take pictures of them brewing, talk to them about the styles of beer they're brewing, um, and kind of get to know these other homebrewers in the, in the scene. Love it. And we met less, uh, actually he was a friend of, uh, one of, uh, one of my old friends. Well, actually he was married. Well, he's married to a woman who was friends with one of my old friends. Sorry. Got it. Convoluted, six, six degrees of separation. Yeah. And then we, we just hit it off. You know, he, he kind of shared the same taste that we had for craft beer. He was excited about craft beer like we were. And, um, he was homebrewing at home as well. And not just homebrewing, he wasn't just making Mr. Beer kits. You know, he was doing some involved series of brewing. Right. He was doing some barrel aging. He was doing some of these advanced projects where you'd have four or five homebrewers at his house at a time and they would brew different styles of beer. And he had a very understanding wife. A very understanding <laughs> wife. She's an angel, a true angel. Um, <laughs> so we would brew. So, so we would go to his house and, and you know, and kind of hit it off with him and said, listen, have you ever considered brewing on a commercial scale? We didn't, you know, at that point, we're getting ready to open a new brewery. We could put it out there and then hired somebody who had a ton of commercial experience, but we knew that we were going to work with less for a long time. Yep. So we said, hey, listen, if you're interested, we'll learn this together and grow together and make the jump. That's awesome. He yeah, he had been doing some web development and he had been doing some graphic design, but nothing, um, nothing that he was like, holding on to too hard to sure to not take the opportunity. So you mentioned that all you guys kind of had similar tastes. I'm assuming mm. you mean quite literally similar tastes in beer. Yeah. How, sure. how would you have described that taste? Yeah. You know, we wanted to continue to, t- it was pretty eclectic. You know, we weren't, we're not the kind of people that drink just a brown ale in the fall, a stout in the winter. Seasonal. Spring. Yeah. yeah. We don't just drink seasonally. Our goal is to always taste what's out there and kind of, um, take what we like out of each different beer, talk about it and be able to, um, find the good even in bad beer sure um we we talk a lot about barrel aging we talk about a lot about new ingredients and process and there's so many things innovations that are happening all the time in craft beer um and beer all over the world we, you know we want to taste that beer and he- hear what the hype is about and taste it and get an idea of what we think about it yeah. and then apply it to what we do on a daily basis so how, like what contribution do you have towards that brewing then aside from wow i like this taste or yeah. i don't like this taste yeah so we 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 meet weekly with a brew with a brew team so it's woody myself and then less and then we sit down with all the brewers we go through our brew list our brew schedule to yep. get an idea of what we need to do to satisfy our outside demand we do do outside distribution now um, Great. So we distribute our beer to about, I think it's last count was almost 300 different accounts between Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill. Are you guys managing that? Yeah, we just do, we do wow. self-distribution. Yeah. In North Carolina, you are luckily allowed to do that. Um, so what we do is, so we service 250 to 300 different accounts in the triangle. Um, we don't go much further outside of that. If yep. we do, it's only on a monthly basis. Yep. <clears throat> Currently we, and this is funny, our drivers delivered 25, 20 to 25 stops per day. Wow. Wow. I think we, we have two and a half drivers that do that pretty much every That's day. like, you know, that's like FedEx numbers. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. And, and luckily we have a great team who always are, they understand the hustle and they want to continue to do more. So, But like, what's your split? I would say, I guess the question is. Are you talking about like grocery stores versus like bottle shops and restaurants? Yeah. I was going to say like, what, what's you guys split roughly between like bars and restaurants versus um, like wholesale accounts like, or like a convenience store, for example. Yeah. Um, the majority of our beer actually goes to restaurants and bottle shops. There are certain brands of our beer that have a little bit higher volume, like when we go to grocery stores, but we currently only really deal with two grocery stores getting ready to expand into Harris Teeter, which is an entirely different monster. Incredible, Um, man. But we're in Lowe's, which has got a huge beer scene in North Carolina. They actually do this really cool thing, concept called Beer Den. Yeah, not to be confused with home improvement. That's right. Yeah, totally different. If they serve beer at Lowe's, I think they would be even busier. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, We do... We do sell our beer to, to Wegmans and we do some things with like Total Wine. Um, but those are the big three kind of um, big box stores that we deal with. Yeah. But the rest of it goes to bottle shops because most of our beer is pretty eclectic and it takes a little bit more of a hand sell because um, it's not just, you know, a lager. There's so much more that goes into that story that it needs to be told in order for people to understand what we're doing. So, Where did Trophy come from? Oh, so that's a good story. Um, on those days when Woody and I were both managing downtown at our original spot, we'd walk around quite a bit and just kind of think about downtown. You know, we'd walk by some of these empty storefronts and um, 
think about what could be, you know, there'd be like a slow Sunday or a slow, a lull on a Wednesday. We're like, let's go walk around a little bit. So we'd walk around and just look at storefronts. And there's one building in particular that I fell in love with, and it's called Mort's Trophy and Awards. And then you're, you're probably familiar with it. It's right over near the old Firestone, kind of near where Crank Arm is on South Saunders heading out of town. Walk by there all the time and just kind of think about it. It's like this weird 50s, 60s kind of vibe to it. The building has is like this maroon color, and it's got the script logo. It says Mort's Trophy and Awards. And uh, it was the kind of place where you'd walk in. It was paneling on the walls and astroturf on the floor, a person at the front who was greeting people, and then salespeople that are working on typewriters and stuff. It was a pretty wild spot. Um, stuck in time kind of spot. In yeah. The old school Raleigh place. Yeah, yeah. Fell in love with that. You know, initially that was the building that we wanted to open Trophy in, and it just didn't really work out because there's a lot of problems with the building at the time. And um, instead we found this spot and decided to make the move here. Oh, that's awesome. Another kind of tie to the Trophy name is, you know, when we were getting ready to get going, what we were trying to get people excited about Trophy, the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, so we would do these tastings where people would say, hey, listen, bring us your trophy. We'll trade you. We'll trade you a trophy for a trophy. So they'd come in, bring us their trophy, and then I'd, we would give them a taste of our beer. So they could taste our beer and give us their trophy. And then what we did originally is we had them all on display. So you had like spaces. a trophy room. We did, yeah. yeah. So in, in both of the dining rooms in our original location was had these walls and people would come in and visit their trophies and you know our all of our tap panels as you've seen have uh, trophies on them and a lot of the trophies that we've been have been donated to us have been taken apart for those tap handles and stuff so do you still have those trophies around they're all over man so we use them for tap handles some of the the donated trophies are in displays in other locations and um when we were renovating and taking those things apart we contacted some of the folks and said hey listen if you want it back you can come get it but right, most right. folks were like nope enjoy it <laughs> that's really interesting that's so cool i love that it's um also i was curious um just kind of how your beers have sort of evolved over the years. Like, have you guys changed, uh, like flavor profiles or, cause you know, the, the beer market is, is like much, much like fashion. It's it, there are trends, right? Mm-hmm, like there are sure. certain types, you know, hazy IPAs blew mm-hmm. up over just like the last two, five years, whatever. Mm-hmm. What, um, how have your beers sort of evolved if you will? Yeah. Um, so when we first started, we kind of, had seen what was established in the area and everyone was pretty set in what beers they were brewing. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to kind of break that mold. You know, we'd gone out and we had tasted all these different beers and other styles of beer and done some research. We wanted to brew styles that weren't readily available. So we started off with a Berliner Weiss and a Goza, which nobody in the area had been brewing at the time. Um, and some of those styles continue to be brewed to this day, but some beers um, that we started off with either trend have kind of diminished or some of them have kind of grown. Um, you know, we started off with a beer that started off as Trophy Wife and it's totally different where it's at now. You know, because one, because we're dealing with agricultural products, you know, things continue to change. Different hops change over time depending on where they're coming from. Yep. Um, and also taste change, you know. Um, we talk a lot about killing our darlings, you know, like finding the beer that you thought was leading the pack in, the, in those days when you first started, but sometimes it needs to change or it needs to go. Um, we do make small adjustments along the way to kind of create and retain some of the flavors, mm-hmm. but we're always continuing to, to see what's next and how we can continue to keep those drinkers excited about those beers. That's great. We currently have four, three core beers that are year-round, 100% year-round, and that's Trophy Wife, which is our session IPA, Cloud Surfer, which is our modern IPA. That's the one I had two nights ago. It's kind of a riff on a, on a New England. You know, it's late hop additions, um, but not over the top haze. Mm-hmm. And then Mort's Trophy Lager, because that is like our that's our industry lager. That's the beer that we want to drink every single day. And you got the Mort's name. Oh yeah, the Mort's name. So the guy that or the family that used to own Mort's downtown, they still own a trophy shop. It's a little further outside of town. It's owned by the Sun now and run by the Sun. His name is Andrew Mortensen, and we have a great relationship. They're tickled that we use the name. I was gonna say. Hey, they're probably pretty it. stoked. Do they pretty get sad. free beer? Uh, I bring them <laughs> beer every time I go to buy trophy parts. I said, hey, he's moored around and bring him some beers. And he's very excited about it. So, That's awesome. Yeah. He well, drinks a lot of porters and he drinks uh, and, and he eats a lot of barbecue. So Nice. <laughs> yeah. You guys also serve pizza here. I ate here two nights ago. Pizza was really, really good. Tuesday awesome. nights is also Detroit style pizza night, yes, yes. which was delicious. Oh, thank you. What, uh, what, why pizza? Uh, so when we were talking about the concept, we were thinking about what goes great with a really great, uh, beer, you know, what's easy, what's approachable, what can we be, uh, what can we do things a little bit different outside of the box, you know, take a little bit more time curating the ingredients, 
and searching, you know, sourcing those ingredients. Sure. And pizza was something that we thought was just super approachable, a good way to start, and then things kind of evolve from there. As you notice on our menu, we don't just have pizza, it's pizza, salads, and then we have all these side items that go with it and these small plates. And, you know, we want people to think about us as a restaurant with pizza as a focus, but there's still other things. A lot of people come in just for those small plates, which is Sure. Cool. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. You know, we imagine the perfect meal being like a really great beer, a really great whiskey on the side, and then, you know, have a great pizza. So Nice. Yeah. Do you guys serve liquor here too? We do. We have a full bar. We are the, uh, and that was one thing that we started off with, with is we had our beer and then we had liquor. Right. Mm-hmm. And as you notice, there's a ton of apartments in this area. Oh, yeah. So, no, it's you know, highly dense. We're a favorite place on a snow day. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How has the beer industry been here in Raleigh with, you know, Asheville's been booming and they're three, four hours away. What's yeah. that relationship like, if any? Uh, it's, I think the, the beer scene here in Raleigh is continuing to grow. You know, there's new breweries getting open. Um, and the good thing for us is, you know, we don't approach it like competition. We approach it like, you know, rising tide raises all ships. hundred percent. We have so many people that are coming to North Carolina, coming to Raleigh, especially to go, you know, to RTP for a tech job or something like that. Yep. And if they if we can build the reputation of North Carolina beer, then we're winning, you know, totally. I don't, you don't got to drink every beer being a trophy beer. You know, I just want your first one to be the trophy beer. And then after that you can have whatever you want, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's a, a healthy outlook for sure. Now you've got young hearts distillery yes, up and moving. Talk about that a little bit, like it's inception, all that stuff. Yeah. So, um, you know, a distillery was always kind of on our, in our dreams. You know, we had talked about it a lot. It's, we have a lot of friends that are in the business, you know, being bar and restaurant people. You know, we made relationship with other distilleries. We always kind of, we love to control the outcomes. We want to be a part of the creative process. Um, and we want to, you know, do something a little bit different. And during COVID, it took us, a, it, what we did is we took a step back. We had this building downtown. Downtown was different. It was totally dead. Oh, because people were work from home. They, people just got started working from home. Everybody, you know, the city and um, all the businesses that have those large towers downtown, and they're working from home and not spending any time. Right. So we had about uh, sixteen months to kind of think about it, uh, or to to execute if we wanted to make a big change. So we took a couple months to think about it, and it just coming kept coming back to me saying, you know what, we need to be doing something that we're excited about. It's creative, and it's something that's different. That's downtown. Let's do the distillery downtown. Cool. Um, because a, it's a showpiece. It's something people want to see. They want to be a part of the process. We've learned that along the way that people love to see where stuff's made. Sure. You know, if you go to any of our concepts, you see that you see kind of where the sausage is made. You see here, you have these giant fooders over here where people can say, Oh, what is that? And then there's a conversation. Somebody's hooked. You know, you can say, Oh, these are our fooders. This is what makes this beer special. And there's the ingredients and you can smell that in the air, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And that's kind of what we're doing with Young Hearts Downtown. Um, when you come into the space, the very first thing you notice is the giant still. We have a 300 liter still that's this beautiful copper piece Sweet. fabricated overseas under the eyes of our friends at a local company called Atlantic Brew Supply. Okay. Um, so it's a showpiece for them too. They're excited to have something in their home market and get to tell people the story and, and bring them in to kind of enjoy the spirits. Nice. And then you, as you go into the space, you see that there's some barrel-aged cocktails on the left, so you're starting to get the impression that things are made here. And then if you look down the narrow space, the, the narrow, I guess, room, at the very back wall is where we do all of our barrel aging. So we have 16 40, or 30-gallon barrels at the back wall, and it's really part of the display. You walk in, you see it, it's like, boom, there it is. So what are you distilling there? So currently, we're doing full-time, we're doing a, um, we're always doing a vodka, we're always doing a gin. Um, we just did an agave spirit. So it's our version of what a tequila would be. Sure. Um, it's a Blanco, of course. And we have some of that that went into barrels to do some barrel aging. Um, we have an absinthe coming out in October, or, sorry, November, and we're getting ready to do our, our Amari festival. So oh, we're cool. going to be doing some North Carolina Amaros. Nice. Yeah. Oh man. I, I, I had way too much Amaro in Italy, uh, on my honeymoon. That's awesome. Um, yeah, my wife didn't think it was awesome. <laughs> Uh, for her, I mean, her, well, you could still call she, her wife. So yeah, yeah, thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we came home together. Uh, yeah, that's hilarious. Um, so how would you describe your gin? Cause, uh, cause you know, gins have such a wide range of flavors. Yeah. Um, so our gin is a, kind of a, a hybrid between a modern and an old school kind of gin. Our goal is to present botanicals in an aromatic way and botanical forward with a little bit of that bitterness and gin, and like that traditional juniper that you get on the palate. Yep. So it's good for mixing. It's good to have neat. Um, and it's an approachable gin. So if somebody likes a traditional uh, Amsterdam style gin, yep. they're going to like this because it's a tweak. Um, and then vice versa with people that are into that Hendrix vibe, um, they 
it's not as cucumbery as yeah. I was going to say a little cucumber, yeah. yeah. But there is there's, there's hints of these botanicals that are put together by our distiller. Her name is Mina Kalu, uh, in order to kind of get your attention and, and really get you thinking about what you're drinking. So your approach to this, like you know, for the Negroni lover, since that's you know, speaking of trends, yeah, huge drink of choice for many people out there, including myself. Is this a, a a segment where you're like, oh my god, don't offend me by mixing my gin with you know Campari, <laughs> or is you're like what is that approach cool? Like a hundred percent. Okay. Our goal is to, to get it in front of somebody and enjoy it the way that you're going to drink it. You know, yeah. that the most, the thing that I enjoy the most is when I get pictures from our friends or see it on social media of somebody trying our drink or our gin a different way and talking about how much they like it. Well, I, sure. Yeah. You know, one user generated like content's yeah, great. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a, a local food blogger. Her name is Jen Rice. who was sending me pictures the other day and she was drinking our gin with Doritos grapefruit. And I was like, yes, that's exactly it. Cause that's, approachable you can you know put a little bit of gin in the neck of that soda and take it on the road nice not driving you can no, take it with sure you sure wherever you're going, sure yep. of yeah road, road sodas <laughs> um that's great man what what are some of the differences then between brewing and distilling you know not just from a business perspective and well and business perspective like how is there a business difference or do you treat it sort of the same way um i guess it's I guess the answer is kind of yes and no. Um, you see a lot of distilleries out there that are focusing on just a singular spirit and they put all their energy behind one spirit because their goal is to kind of get it out there and a little bit wider. Our goal is to um, present diverse botanical forward spirits mm -hmm. and really teach people about what spirits can be like. I think we're opening up with an Amari where a lot of people are going to be like, what is that? I don't right. know what an Amari is or, an, you know, tell me about Amari as a category. They may have had a Fournette here or there. They might have had something else that's botanical forward. But like our goal is to kind of teach, educate, and then bring them back into the fold. Um, and that's kind of what we did with beer. Our goal at Trophy um, was to brew new styles of beer that are good, great examples of either classics or our take on a classic. Um, we want to continue to push the boundaries of what people expect from local beer and local spirits. Um, but sometimes that can be hampered just because we are in North Carolina. So there's so many different rules to that. So, yeah. you know, um, there, we can sell our beer pretty much all over a lot easier than we can sell our spirits. Mm -hmm. In North Carolina, we have the ABC system where we legally have to sell a certain percentage of what we make to the ABC system. Mm -hmm. They tell you how much you can sell it to them for. And they, <laughs> they really put the, hang, the handcuffs on you um, as far as that goes. But, you know, there are, have been some changes, you know, recently, especially where, you know, we're allowed to sell spirits on Sundays, which is huge in North Carolina. Sure. Um, and we can sell our spirits on site. So in a restaurant setting, so somebody could come in, have a great cocktail and take a bottle of our gin home with them when they leave. Oh, fantastic. Which is insane. What's been sort of the marketing approach to either or both businesses? What we can, so as far as marketing goes for um, what we do at Trophy, we are, uh, our marketing is heavy, heavily on social media because that's just most of our users. People that want to drink our beer want to see it. They want to be a part of that experience. And that's kind of the, some of the things that we've learned there and we apply it to what we're doing with the distillery because currently the only place you can get our spirits is at the distillery. Right. So it's a big call to come in, see the still, be a part of it, leave, be an advocate. Right. Um, we don't spend a ton of money on print. We, we do participate in events because we think that's a, just a more authentic connection. Sure. Um, and, you know, we're not big coupon people or anything like that or discount people because you know, right. we do put a lot of effort into all this, all the ingredients and all the um, labor that we put into these specialty products. So um, I guess you'd say it's kind of a hybrid of a grassroots and uh, social media. Marketing. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, so what is sort of like the future plans for either or both? Like, do you treat them as completely separate entities kind of thing? I yeah. mean, they're obviously named different, so it's not like you're trophy distilling kind yeah. of, you know. Yeah, and that was that was conscientious. Like we did that on purpose um, because they're two different things. We're going to take the trophy approach as far as diverse brands, two young hearts, but it's kind of a different, it's a different and elevated experience mm -hmm. at Young Hearts. We've talked a little bit about what happens if in the brewing industry if we continue to grow and what that means for perception. Sure. Um, because you know we never want to be the big guy because no one wants to support the big guy. You know they always want to support the small scrappy craft brewer. Um, so our goal is to continue to stay agile and continue to brew new styles that continue to challenge the drinker and get people excited about stuff, follow trends, lead trends wherever possible, um, and then work with purveyors that we're proud of, you know, like local farms getting, you know, last year I bought 8,000 pounds of local fruit during a pandemic, which is insane. That's great. Uh, and then, you know, in 2022, we'll, we'll purchase more. Um, 
as far as growth there, we'll continue to satisfy our local market. And then as we look at 2022, we're thinking about traveling again. And that's when we kind of sell more beer outside of our market. If I ever travel for a beer festival or a beer event or we're doing a, a food a food fest, we'll send beer along with that and then do some outside events to kind of build a little bit of hype around it and also an opportunity to connect with people with other people outside of our market. Uh, the distillery, we're going to follow that same kind of that same kind of plan. Mm-hmm. We will do it on a smaller scale because moving spirits is even more difficult than it is moving beer. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're still on that phase where we're out there trying to spread the word. You know, we're sending our distiller out. She was on Master Distiller, that television show. Um, and she went back for another round of like the the champion series or like the best of kind of thing Sweet. Um, for master distiller, which is going to be on discovery network in January. Nice. Um, so doing some of that marketing that way and, uh, begging people to come in, in into the distillery to see that, see the process. So. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what are you up to kind of in your free time these days? Uh, free time. Uh, so we, my wife and I just had twins Oh, congrats, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are about a month in with boy-girl twins, <laughs> Jack and Georgia. Wow. Yes. How's that going? Uh, it's, it's different. It's a lot different. Um, <laughs> I like the dipl- like diplomatic answer. Right? Love so it. So we already have a two-and-a-half-year-old. Our daughter, actually, our daughter's almost three. She's going to be three in January. Okay, cool. And then we added the twins about a month ago. Um, so free time is kind of a gray area right now. Sure, you know, sure. It's a lot of, you know, my free time is really having just one kid with me when I go to do something, which is not a bad thing. It's great right. to yeah, bring yeah, Harley yeah. To, to stuff that we're outside doing. And, um, but this, all these changes have forced me to get more organized and do my best to kind of find that free time, looking for that free time to kind of disconnect from work, disconnect from home, and just kind of think about creatively what's happening next. That's great. Well, we can't end this without some car talk. What was your first car? Uh, so my very first car was a Chevy Cavalier Z24. No way. Yeah, it was, it was, you may remember it kind of boxy on the front and the back, but it had a sunroof and a spoiler in the back. I thought it was hot shit. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, it was my mother's car that she gave to me. Um, what year was the car? It was 1980, I think it was an 86. Yeah, so it was like eight years old when I got to drive it. Solid. It was so tight. It was so <laughs> tight. Uh, yeah, it was the kind of car that uh, I couldn't wait to drive, so uh, I would definitely drive it before it was street legal. So. Oh, right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> I love it. What are you driving now? Uh, I actually just bought a three-row SUV because I have so many children. So (laughs) uh, it's actually a Kia Telluride. Oh, sweet. Yeah. I like the new logo. Yeah. I don't know how old the logo is, but like, I feel like I've just been seeing it more and more and more. I see it all over. Yeah. More sort of modern typeface. Yeah, it's cool. And, and, you know, the safe... Dude, I looked at safety ratings so much. That's just where I'm at in my life. So the safety (laughs) ratings were super high. I drove a couple of them. I really liked it. Thought it was comfortable and it was not too minivan-ish. And it was just kind of like what it's good for what we need right now. So safety ratings is something I never look at. Yeah. How does Volvo (laughs) stack up these days? Cause like I know Volvo has historically been like the safest car. Yeah. It's pretty high. I think it was like five or six. So there there's, they still maintain that reputation. Yes. That's amazing. (laughs) That's great. Well, Chris, let's take a tour cause I want to see more of this place. I can't thank you enough for your time, man. For sure. The beer is delicious. Thank you. Real quick, for selfish reasons, why is that Detroit pizza only offered on Tuesdays? To get you here on a Tuesday. All right. (laughs) Slow days. I like it. Okay, cool. Okay, so, but to piggyback on that, like, where did the Detroit pizza come from? Because you normally serve a a round pizza. Yeah, it's, we serve a a New York style pie currently. And, you know, we were considering, you know, in the restaurant industry, the the very slowest day of the week is Tuesdays. Mondays, you get a little bit of traffic and it's just kind of like rebound traffic, but then Tuesdays are the worst. So, (laughs) and it is, it's hard, you know, it's hard to have the staff motivated. It's hard to have managers motivated. um, And it's hard to uh, get people in the door. So, you know, when I was thinking about it, I was like, okay, what can we do that's a little bit different? That's not a crazy bench or not a crazy stretch. I don't want to serve, you know, rotisserie chicken on a Tuesday. I want to do something that's in our vibe that makes sense for us. So I started doing research on Detroit style pizzas. Um, And if you're familiar with it at all, there's a huge history in Detroit with the auto industry, with, you know, the story of Detroit pizzas that uh, someone brought home a piece, uh, an actual, I think it was an oil pan off an old vehicle. And they were actually making this focaccia style pizza in an oil pan that obviously hadn't been used for oil, but what would have been used for oil. And then focaccia style pizza, baking it at a very high temperature and then kind of developing this crust around the outside and then coating it and then serving it in that pan. In right, that, that, that pan. little char, like a, 
Yeah, it's like I want the corner piece like a brownie. Yeah, you for know sure. What I mean? It's that crunchy bit on the corner. Yeah. Um, so what we did is we found one of those cheap flights in 20, it was 2020 or 2019, I believe, that we went up there. So we found one of those cheap flights where you get up in the morning. It's a 6 a.m. flight. Um, I took myself, my partner Woody, um, Shane, who's our GM here, our chef here, and then we brought one of our other food buddies who's also in the restaurant industry to kind of make it more of a fun trip. Yeah. We hit up six Detroit-style pizza places that day. And it all started with one that was over near the casino in Detroit, which if you guys, if you haven't been to Detroit lately, you need to go. It's such a cool town. I was there two years ago. Man, so cool. It was so cool. We're very, very excited about it. Yeah. We got up there and we went and hit up um, a bunch of different places. We started with the one that opened up earliest. Obviously, we're a little bleary eyed. Uh, we showed up. It was actually pretty funny. We showed up to the rental car place. And uh, the guy, we're like, all right, uh, the, the vehicle you're going to rent us wouldn't work for all five guys. And he's like, well, I can get you a minivan. I was like, hell yeah, I love minivans. Yeah. Let me get in the minivan. Let's get this party started. Yeah, let's go. So we hopped in the minivan and we're driving out. The guy's like, you guys look stupid. Like the guy in the parking lot was awesome. <laughs> uh, and we're like, thank you so much. See you later. Welcome to Detroit. So we got in the, we got in the minivan and we went to, um, went to the first place and it was a, a Greek place. I can't, the name of the place is kind of escaping me right now, but we started off with pizza and we tasted six different places, pizzas and started off with uh Luminati or we ended with Luminati's, which was our, uh, our very favorite place. And it's kind of like the place that everyone identifies as the most Detroit of Detroit style. Pizzas. Right. The most authentic, most authentic. Got it. So we hit up all these places, stopped at a couple breweries to see some friends, but, um, got an opportunity to, to taste what Detroit style pizza tasted like in Detroit. That's amazing. And take our team for a tour and get to see what it's like. Cause a lot of the guys had never been to Detroit or even that far North, you know, right. to go see what a, a blue collar, uh, town or city looks like. Um, so we went, Drove around, tried a bunch of pizza, and finished up. We had some leftovers in the van. We're eating the leftovers on the way to the airport. Incredible. Got on a 10 o'clock flight back to Raleigh and, and made it home safe. It was pretty awesome. So the one-day team-building exercise with a belly full of pizza. Belly full of pizza. <laughs> and we came home very tired, and it, it was a pretty awesome day, though. That's incredible. Yeah. I love it. Well, thanks, man. <laughs> thanks. Appreciate thanks. it. All right. Big thanks goes out to Chris again. Thanks so much for the tour of, of Trophy Brewing and, and all things beer. Um, such a cool concept. Love those tap handles, all the old trophies. Just such a unique touch. Stay tuned in another two weeks. I'm coming back with another episode, episode 80. Appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to these. And if you could leave a review, that would be more than helpful. Thanks so much. And I'll catch you in another couple weeks. Ciao.